Our next speaker is a doctor who's um, currently in uh, San Francisco. He's a palliative care doctor. Um, and due to his own life-changing encounter, really, with mortality, he's pioneered a vision of palliative care in a hospice in San Francisco. He's also probably the most beautiful man I've ever met. <laughs> and so, you know, the phrase to die for... <laughs> anyway, we're going to try... He is very beautiful. You just wait for it. Without, so well, we'll say all this before we get him online. So just to keep it. So we're going to try and Skype. Um, <laughs> try and Skype BJ Miller. Right here we go. Can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> oh. I'm going to turn you around, Bruce, so you can see these people. <laughs> Can you see them? Oh. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is the this is the theatre in Cheltenham. I've told yeah. them all about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to leave you to it for 15 minutes. Is that all right? Oh, that's great. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Sam. It's good to see everybody. Um, you're making me love technology, which is a, a, a hell of a feat. Um, I hope the conference is going well. I imagine it is. I wish I were there in person, um, but instead, I'm, on my, I'm I'm with my parents at home in St. Louis, and they they send their best, by the way. Um, so let's just jump in. We don't have a lot of time together. Um, you know, I thought I'd start with a simple question, guys, um, which is, what is death? You would think. There would be a good answer or an easy answer to that, or at least a concrete answer to that. But it's actually kind of hard to define. I'm going to read you. There's a, there's a thing called the Uniform Determination of Death Act. It's from 1981. This is when death started, apparently. It is to, to, to qualify as dead, you either have to have one of the, you have to have one of the, uh, one of two things happen. Irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions or irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain. Okay, um, that's, a, that's something that's useful, I suppose, for my family lawyers to know that I am in fact dead and they can move on to things. Um, but it's not very helpful for me as a human being, uh, as an individual. How do I know I'm dead? What is death to me is really probably the bigger question. And again, for something so darn concrete, it is incredibly subjective. And some part of that is just invitation for all of us to answer this question ourselves. But I will say, here's how I've answered it. And before I do that, by the way, guys, can you hear me? There's a little feedback on my end. Okay. Good. Okay. Well, just sort of punchline of that one, for me, I've come to realize that for me, death is at least is when I can no longer take anything in. So for me, in this life, this body, death has something to do with the end of perception. When it's an inflammation, 
If I can take singing, then for my for my purposes, I am no longer. So let me kind of take us back how I deduce my way there. Um, you know, when I think about my life as a clinician, when I ask that question to people, what is death to you? I get a lot of funny answers. I get some people say, well, when I can no longer talk. Then you say, oh, well, <laughs> that might be good news to some people. And that might, in fact, be other ways to communicate when you can no longer talk. So that doesn't seem like such a concrete end. Uh, some people tell me that, oh, I'm dead when I can no longer play tennis. For me, that's it. Let me go when I can't play tennis. The problem with all these answers is it's very difficult to project ourselves in the future and to know what we can't live with. Now, as a disabled person, this kind of thing comes up a lot. In fact, we know this. That most people, especially clinicians, interestingly, if you ask most clinicians, and there are data around this, you know, if you were made quadriplegic in an accident and brought into your own facility, you know, would you would you want your compatriots to help you survive, to bring you back? And the vast majority of clinicians, oh hell no, I can't be like that. I that'd be rather dead. The truth is when you ask most quadriplegic people, after a little time, they'll tell you they're very happy to be alive. But just because we can't imagine ourselves in a situation doesn't mean when we're in the situation we couldn't handle it. So I, I, I offer that to push back a little bit and to open our imaginations and to give ourselves more credit to live with what we, what we don't think we could. So, but then let me circle back to my own answer to that question. So I had uh, the very good fortune of almost dying. Uh, when I was a college student. Um, some of you guys may know this, Sam may have mentioned, I, I had electrical burns as a sophomore year, a sophomore in college. I was up on a commuter train and I had a metal watch on, electricity arc to the watch, entered the arm and blew out the feet. You know, it was uh, a significant moment, you could say. Um, but I had a lot of time to ponder. As I sat in a burn unit in New Jersey, I had a lot of time to think about life, to observe it, to think about my own situation as I was watching part of my body die. Uh, it was um, a remarkable time, a very difficult time. Any of you who have spent time in a burn unit, is, it is something of a torture chamber. Um, and yet there were all these beautiful people all around trying their best to help me in all sorts of ways. And one day, uh, one of my good friends brought in a, a snowball. This was in December in New Jersey, 1990. And a friend brought in a snowball to kind of smuggle it in because, you know, you weren't allowed to bring anything into a burn unit. And the nurse let me hold it. And I could feel this little miracle, you know, moving from snow to water. And I could feel the effect dripping onto me. And it was the most simple and basic thing. And it was really that moment that turned me on, that was my introduction to my own death, really. That's when I saw it. That's when I felt it. And the feeling was much, it was, hmm, it was mundane. It was basic. It wasn't this exotic foreign thing. It was a very basic, familiar thing. 
And that began a really remarkable odyssey. And in that moment, I began to see, well, I could mourn that the snow was dying, just as I could welcome the water coming, that it wasn't one or the other. And as I started thinking about this more and playing around with my, my body a little bit more, I came to realize that, wow, <clears throat> we humans have a very peculiar talent, don't we? We have this ability to change our lens, to, to zoom in, to zoom out. Yes, I could see as this as a tragedy of, a, of snow going away, or I could see it as a beautiful thing of, of water becoming. It was up to me that I had this power of perspective as a human being. You know, I think of this oftentimes when I see pictures of the, of the earth. You know, it must, be, it must be an amazing phenomenon to be an astronaut, right? To, to actually look down on our planet and see it as a single object, a singular thing. In that, in that way, all of us are, are one and the same, right? And in that view, we are, we are one, I mean, literally. And then you could zoom out. You know, you can see our little world among a gazillion, you know, in the universe, in the galaxy, right? Or you could zoom in on a body, on a, on a, on a piece of flesh, and see that as a universe of itself with supporting gazillions of bacteria and viruses, etc. And all of those are true states. They're all real. But... The truth of it for us human beings is we get to zoom in and zoom out. And that became a way of life for me. So then I went back to university, rejoined school, began to study art and to sort of hone this ability of how to see. And that versus what we're looking at, but how we look at it became a sort of a single thrust for me in the rest of my life. And I don't just mean that for me. I think we all do this. It's just some putting some names to it. So... The other thing that happened in that moment is pain was put in its place. You know, for a moment there, I, I was you know, sure they had tons of physical pain. But in this new kind of when I could hang out in this new zone, I could see pain as, as a stimulus, as a sensation. And ultimately, I became really glad that I could feel anything, even pain including pain. And that became another wrinkle for me, a very therapeutic wrinkle, which basically allowed me to just drop the adjectives. You know, good, bad, painful, pleasure. I was just interested in feeling anything. It's, it's hard for me to hang out in that situation for long periods of time because, of course, I have an ego and all this other stuff, and pain does suck in a lot of ways. But at least I had now, I had some access, thanks to a snowball, I had some access, really, to playing with my own perception. And that's where I kind of deduced my way to this idea. When I can no longer perceive, for me, I think that's probably the end, or an end. Who knows what comes after that? So that is, that is the basic nature of my snowball. And let me just look at my notes, guys, here real quick, because I know we have very little time. Um, I guess the bigger point here is really this sort of last, I'll leave you with, with one last little tidbit, which is, I am grateful to be alive. I don't know how I'll feel when I'm, when I'm dead. 
and I work with people who want to stay alive, who want to be alive, or trying to square themselves with an, an ache in themselves that's telling them, in fact, they're ready to die. No, I don't. I have come to not see such a sting to suicide. I lost my sister to suicide. It's filled with torment. But I've also kind of come to understand how at some point each of us may welcome death in some way. And that's okay. I guess I'm, I'll leave you with this final phrase, which kind of landed for me and has been something of a guidepost, which is, yeah, you want to be alive. I'm interested. Let's be alive. But what I think I really want when I think about my life with my patients, what they seem to tell me is more than they want to be alive, I think they want to feel alive. And so I will leave you with that final thought. This idea of sensation, perspective, while we have a body, this thing that feels, perhaps we can just settle for appreciating the fact that we can feel anything while we still can. It's a, a single sorrow that I see at the end of people's lives that that's when they start appreciating the life they had. I see that in myself. I have to be losing something to love it. So maybe our work together, guys, is pushing that love a little upstream and appreciating and loving what we have while we have it and minimizing the regrets that go along with that mindset. So anyway, that that is my sort of 10-minute-ish quick spiel that I'll just offer up for for, for thought for you guys. But other than that, I'll just send you a big hug and a lot of love from across the pond. I look forward to the day when I can be in the same room with you guys and vice versa. And thank you, Sam, for putting this conference on because I think we all know that medicine is far more than just physical stimuli. And I'm glad to see you guys realizing it. So thank you very much. Bye, guys.